You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Welcome, my friends. Welcome to another edition of The Corbett Report. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you, as always, from the currently drizzly climbs of Western Japan here on this first day of March 2013. Welcome to episode 260 of the Corbett Report podcast, Globalists Hate C-SPAN. Lamentably, it is a sad truism that many of us out there, even us, the strong, the few, the hyperboreans, the Corbettians of the alternative media sphere, can fall victim to the most blatant globalist propaganda, particularly that propaganda which seeks to convince us that those around us in the general public don't understand what's happening, they can't identify the globalists, and that they are utterly and totally uh, 100% buying into the globalist propaganda. Now, that is, in fact, demonstrably wrong, but it is something that all of us fall victim to believing every now and then because it is so constantly drilled into us and programmed into us from a lot of different sources, but primarily, I would say, through the media that we consume on a daily basis. And this type of programming, this this propaganda that seeks to convince us that, in fact, no one understands what's happening except us, it really does work against us so very, very well because it gets a lot of people to start fighting with each other rather than fighting against the globalist forces that are seeking to puppeteer our society. And we see this reflected even in the type of language that gets bandied about, even in the alternative media, calling the vast majority of the population sheeple and saying that they're blind zombies and spending most of our time lamenting that fact rather than trying to actually disseminate real information information. And this is important because it is part of a divide-and-conquer strategy. It is getting us to blame the victims for their own victimization, rather than actually doing something useful in stopping that victimization from occurring in the first place. So how do we go about undermining that programming? Well, first, let's just take a look at just one example of how this programming occurs. As I say, this tends to occur uh, most obviously in the, the media sphere, and perhaps most obviously of all of those examples in the medium of television, which is that perfect medium that the globalists have devised for basically injecting ideas and cultural memes directly into our subconscious. And uh, there are a lot of studies and a lot of things to talk about in regard to that. And perhaps we will have an episode in the future examining television as a medium. But at any rate, let's just take an example from that example par excellence of predictive programming and media programming and globalist propaganda uh, and all things related to these subjects, and that would be Fareed Zakaria's GPS on CNN. And you could basically spin a wheel and land on any single episode of this series and come up with a pretty good example of the phenomenon that we're talking about. But let's take a look at a recent, a very recent episode of GPS where Fareed Zakaria is talking to ex-CIA director Michael Hayden about the Chinese cyber hacking scandal that they're trying to play up at the moment. And take pay specific particular attention not just to the ridiculous propaganda that Hayden is attempting to to pass off on the American public through this program but also the way in which Hayden is not called out on what he's saying. In fact, he's not even laughed at, as he should be for making these types of ridiculous propagandistic statements. Right. I'd freely admit that all nations spy, all nations conduct espionage, but some nations, nations like ours, self-limit. We steal other nations' secrets to keep Americans safe and free. We don't do it to make Americans rich or to make American industry profitable. And what the Chinese are doing is industrial espionage, uh, trade secrets, negotiating positions, stealing that kind of information on an unprecedented scale for Chinese economic advantage. And that's why I think our response should be in the economic zone. We need to make Chinese cyber behavior part of the overall portfolio of Sino-American relations, and we need to begin to exact a price on the Chinese in the economic sphere for what it is they're doing to us. Now, as I say, 
perhaps even as important or even more important than the actual text of what Hayden is saying in that particular clip is the subtext of what is not being said. We do not hear Fareed Zakaria interrupting, cutting off, or attempting to question Hayden on putting forward such blatantly ridiculous and propagandistic statements that America would never use intelligence for their own benefit. They self-limit, etc., etc. I mean, even taking a look at the most basic pieces of the intelligence grid as it's been set up and un unveiled and admitted in 100% on the record, including the NSA wiretapping program and all of that, uh, which flies in the face of what Hayden was saying. But none of that was brought into that conversation and on those types of talking head programs in the globalist-controlled propaganda media, you will never hear that brought into the discussion. Because, once again, the overriding message that you are supposed to take home from watching that is not just what Hayden is saying, but the fact that he is not being questioned about what he is saying. No one is trying to push back against him. And it is through watching that time and time and time and time again, day after day after day for years and then decades upon decades, it is drilled into our consciousness that it's weird to try to question these people on what they're saying. It's weird if you don't simply believe what is being told to you. It's weird if you laugh at ridiculous propaganda like that. Well, of course, it is not weird to laugh at that. It is not weird to question what he's saying. It is not weird to try to bring up the pieces of information that directly refute the argument he is attempting to make. And uh, we all know that. We all understand that if we take a step back. But when you're in that moment of it consuming that propaganda, it's it's difficult for that to, to get down into your subconscious and to really understand this process. So today, let's highlight a propaganda medium, the television medium, but let's take a look at a slightly different outlet. I guess we could call this the quasi-mainstream outlet that actually does, from time to time, allow real people with real grievances to really ask real questions of some of these phony globalist mouthpiece propaganda spewers. And I am referring to no nothing other than C-SPAN, that cable service pr uh, provided uh, a public service that was created in 1979 as basically a government-mandated uh, obligation of the cable companies to do something for the public good with the, the, ba the bandwidth that they've been provided. So this was the origins of C-SPAN, and more or less it has maintained an actual air of really attempting to cover certain things simply by putting cameras on congressional hearings, etc., and letting, letting them speak for themselves rather than having a bunch of talk heads trying to tell you what to think. So to that extent, it is actually a useful resource, and they now have a C-SPAN video online library that digitizes uh, interviews going back decades. So it, it can be a very valuable resource for taking a look at some of the, the statements that have been made and some of the congressional hearings, etc., that have gone on, and also because of some of the programs that they have that allow and invite viewer participation, including their participation, as I say, of real people asking real questions, which is certainly something that these globalists are not used to. So you might remember back from our recent episode on Meet Zbigniew Brzezinski that Brian Lamb, the host of uh, some of C-SPAN's programming, did bring this point up when he was talking to Zbigniew Brzezinski that, in fact, a lot of the program's viewers are conspiracy theorists. You mentioned something earlier that you've done that comes up right in the spot that you're sitting <clears throat> many times by our callers across the country. And that is a suspicion that there is a conspiracy put through the Trilateral Commission and the Council on Foreign Relations. You ran the Trilateral Commission for how long? About three years, I think. Something like that, three years. Not only did I run it, I helped to found it and organize it with David Rockefeller. So if any of our viewers are conspiracy-minded, here is one of the conspirators. Indeed. Well, as much as Brian Lamb attempts to pass this off as some humorous little thing to, to mention in passing, the fact that there are a lot of callers and people who, who call into these shows that do actually put real questions to these people is, an, is a fact that is demonstrably obvious to those who actually watch these programs. So today, let's highlight some examples of this phenomenon so that we can see that, in fact, there are an 
awful lot of people out there in the real world who really do know what is happening more or less and really do have real questions for these people. And this is a phenomenon that, again, has been going on for decades, and we can trace this back well, at least back uh, to 1991 when uh, Ken Edelman appeared on a C-SPAN program and was accosted on the uh, on the phenomenon of the first Gulf War and how it was, remarkably enough, all foreseen by the Council on Foreign Relations. Good morning. Good morning. If Mr. Edelman uh, feels that the CIA was not aware that there was going to be a war in the Gulf, then... He must not have gotten a copy of the paper that the Council of Foreign Relations sent to its members. They came out with a paper early last summer, long before Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait, stating that they were going to reshape the Middle East. Saddam Hussein would have to go and the ruling family of Kuwait because they were standing in the way of the new world order, which is just a fancy word for one world government. Thank you. Caller, are you a member of the council? For, well, I assume she got the paper. Do you know what she's talking about? I don't know if she does either. I don't know if she does either. Oh, <laughs> oh, the imperial hubris dripping off of Edelman there is almost, uh, well, it is retch-inducing, isn't it? And that's the type of imperial hubris that is bred into these globalist mouthpieces through decade after decade of having basically an enchanted life where they can spew the, the most blatant propaganda and dismiss the most important details and facts with a mere wave of their hand and entrusting that the media system, the television media that, ha that has served them so well, will continue to serve them well and will dismiss these, uh, these important questions as the ramblings of insane people. But that was the type of imperial hubris that was bred into these people decades ago in the pre-internet era. Living in the internet era, however, it is vastly more difficult for these people to simply dismiss these uh, questions and concerns as the mad ramblings of insane people. Now, uh, certainly it would have been helpful, I, I guess, if the caller had been able to identify specifically what issue of foreign affairs she was referring to there that talked about the Gulf War. But at any rate, you see how easy it is for them to dismiss actual talk about a real publication that really exists, about a real agency, a council, uh, an organization that really exists and really did write about the Gulf War before it happened. They can just dismiss it by saying, well, she doesn't even know what she's talking about. Uh, it's a, a remarkable technique. But imagine if, instead of that type of dismissive technique, you could continue and continue and continue to ask questions and to grill and to pound and hammer away at these globalist mouthpieces. At the very least, the, the hand-waving and the dismissal of these people as crazy fringe people becomes more and more difficult as that process progresses. And for one example that we can turn to in a more recent context, we can, uh, we can listen to a very interesting conversation that was held on the program Washington Journal on C-SPAN with none other than 9-11 co-chair Lee Hamilton. Yes, Mr. We Were Set Up to Fail himself. And this is an interesting example of the phenomenon because I will invite you, as always, to follow the link in the show notes from today's episode and to actually watch the entire uh, segment with Hamilton in which he is pounded by caller after caller after caller after caller. But let's just play some interesting segments from this in which there are, again, some real people asking some real questions of this globalist stooge. New York City, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. New York City. Oh, um, I'd like to ask you a very, very important question. How is it that you gave General Myers and Donald Rumsfeld a free ride, and they had said they had no idea about NORAD on that day when Cynthia McKinley had asked them questions in the middle of the night on C-SPAN, and they did 100% acknowledge that there was five war games that morning. And in addition to that, that Donald Rumsfeld was in total control. And we also want to know who shut down the sand missiles. Thanks, caller. 
Uh, we, uh, we think NORA had made some mistakes uh, on, the, on the lead up to 9-11 and could have reacted more aggressively and robustly than they did. Uh, we did not hold General Myers or Secretary Rumsfeld responsible for that. Uh, but we did make some critical comments about uh, NORAD and their ability to respond to these kind of attacks. Nashville, Tennessee for Lee Hamilton. Good morning. Good morning. Can you hear me all right? Sure can. Brian, I want to thank you for taking my call. Uh, I haven't talked with you for over four years, so it's a pleasure. Uh, to Lee Hamilton, I want to thank uh, you for taking my call. Uh, it isn't always that we can speak truth to power. Uh, I want you and the audience to look up on the internet a uh, Pulitzer Prize winning journalist by the name of Robert Perry. He has an uh, internet site called consortiumnews.com. Robert Perry has covered you for over 25 years, Mr. Hamilton, and I think that you really have to consider your legacy. You have, since the 1980s, been very involved in cover-up for the Bush family. Um, and this last 9-11 report was just your most recent cover-up of the Bush family. Um, back in the days, you fired people for their wanting to go further into looking into the October surprise of the 1980 election campaign. Why is it that in this current and most recent report, you continue this cover-up by not going delving into the administration's reaction to the August 6th PDF briefing. Why is it that you don't uh, go into Condoleezza Rice's reaction to the, the comment that she made about, well, we never thought that planes would go in, be used to, to go into and bomb buildings. Now, she had already been briefed that that is exactly what we were going to have happen. Caller, let me interrupt and ask you a question uh, about Mr. Hamilton. He was on this commission with how many people, Mr. Hamilton? Uh, well, we had uh, 10 commissioners. Ten, they had 10 commissioners, um, including some Jamie Gorelick and others, uh, Richard Benvenisti, who are outspoken Democrats. How could he personally stop this kind of thing from happening with all those other people on the commission that might not... Uh, look at it the same way you do. Uh huh. Well, first of all, Brian, he was the, the um, co-commission chairman, correct? Right. Okay. Uh, uh, vice chairman. At, okay, vice chairman. Mm -hmm. But you were also act as chairman in the 80s. Um, you have a great deal of uh, gravitas. You have a great deal of power in your position and in your past. But why would he want to cover up for George Bush? He's a Democrat from Indiana. Uh, Tell well, us. you're going to have to ask Mr. Hamilton because he has done this for, for George Herbert Walker Bush, and uh, he has a very close connection with them. All right, well, let's go. Is that true? <laughs> well, uh, on the 9-11 matter uh, and uh, this President Bush, uh, the commission really did come to a conclusion. We were critical of things that the Bush administration did. Uh, but and of the Clinton administration as well. But what we uh, concluded was that it was not a personal uh, matter. There wasn't any one person that caused 9-11 because of their malfeasance in office. It was rather a systemic failure. It was a breakdown of the system. That's why our recommendations focused on reorganization of the intelligence community and a lot of uh, changes in the FBI and other areas. Uh, you can go back and say uh, this person did not do what they should have, whether you're talking about a president of the United States or a border guard uh, or a member of Congress during that period of time. Uh, but I don't think that really gets you anywhere in terms of making the country safer in the long run. And so we said, uh, look, we've got to make some fundamental institutional changes to make the country safer. Sir, I'd like to ask you... Uh this question regarding the testimony of Norma Mineta, the Secretary of Transportation, who appeared before you guys on May 23rd, 2003. And Norma Mineta was at the Oper uh, Emergency Operations Center in the White House with Vice President Dick Cheney around 9.20 on September 11, 2001. And during, and during that time, Norma Mineta said to you guys that while he was there, quote, during the time that the airplane was coming into the Pentagon, there was a young man who would come in and say to the vice president, the plane is 50 miles out. 
the plane is 30 miles out. And when it got down to 10 miles out, the young man also said to the vice president, do the order still stand? And the vice president turned and whipped his neck around and said, of course the order still stands. Have you heard anything to the contrary? Now, this had to be the Pentagon, the, the flight that hit the Pentagon. How can Dick Cheney know this and Donald Rumsfeld not know it, the president not know it, the military not know it? And another question, sir. I'm going to let you go. Uh, <clears throat> first, I want to ask you, how often do you get these kind of questions? Because there seems to be a whole world out there that revolves around every jot and tittle of everything that's ever been said. It's just well, suspecting that this is a conspiracy. Well, that's right. The, uh, look, we're still arguing about the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. And we're arguing about uh, John F. Kennedy's assassination. September 11th is one of the most traumatic days in the history of our country, maybe the most traumatic. Uh, we on the 9-11 Commission took our best crack at it. We were ordered by the statute to tell the story of 9-11, put aside the recommendations. We did the very best we could on that, but it's a dynamic situation. Information continually comes up, and there's a lot of suspicion about what we found and what we didn't find. So these stories will continue. Now, with regard to Cheney's action, he was the person in the White House. The president at the time was in Sarasota, Florida, and speaking to that small group, really, of uh, children. And uh, communications were not as good as we would like them to have been between uh, President Bush and the White House at that time. And incidentally, that's one of the things we think have been corrected since that time. But the vice president was in the operation room. He was in charge, in a sense. Uh, he was in communication with the president as quickly as he could be at that point in time. And uh, uh, yet, we did find a flaw in the communication problems. Uh, Don Rumsfeld was uh, in the Pentagon, uh, as I recall, but not, fortunately, at the point of impact. And when the impact did occur, he wanted to try to be helpful. And he, he personally went over there to try to be helpful before they got him and, I think, turned him around. Uh, so right. uh, Cheney was in the key position at the time. Don't know whether our audience heard that yeah. or not, but uh, I know our ears heard that. Go ahead, yeah. sir. You're in Concord, Massachusetts. Oh, oh, good. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, good morning. Uh, uh, C-SPAN's Book TV recently did a lecture from the University of Wisconsin and, uh, about the events surrounding 9-11. Uh, uh, the uh, lecturer, a person by the name of uh, David Ray Griffin, is a professor emeritus at the... Uh, uh, University of Charmont, uh, and uh, he certainly is no uh, freaky um, uh, conspiracy theorist. He is uh, a man with gravitas. Um, it was his conclusion, based upon the evidence, that the um, that 9/11 was a uh, that the government was complicit in and uh, engineered 9/11. Uh, now, before you dismiss this as nonsense, uh, the audience of over five, uh, I think it was 400 people, uh, gave the person a standing ovation. Uh, it seems that these theories are starting to take uh, currency in the country, and uh, it appears that you have a lot of explaining to do. Caller, caller let me ask you, why, why would uh, the government want 9-11 to happen? In your opinion? Oh, uh, uh, because uh, the pretext for war, the pretext for uh, the, the planning of the operation uh, of uh, the Gulf, of the the war in the Gulf, the, the, you needed a pretext. And, so, uh, so and it, this was it. Okay, let's assume that that's correct. Why would uh, the government want to go to war in Iraq? Well, for, uh, well uh, hello. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I think there were three reasons. Uh, one was for the uh, to make the Middle East safe for Israel. Uh, the other one was to uh, uh, bring market forces into that area, and uh, the third one was to establish military bases. Uh, I'm not familiar in any detail with uh, uh, Professor Griffin's work, so I don't know that I can respond. But the charge, of course, that the United States government was complicit in 9-11 is just extraordinary. And uh, we, we found no, zero evidence of that, uh, that our government planned that attack. Uh, so uh, I think the burden of persuasion is uh, on their side here, and uh, I'd be very, very skeptical of it. He said the evidence is very strong. I'd, I haven't seen that evidence. Have you read David Griffin's book? No. Have you heard about David Griffin's book? Yes. 
Well, I think that speaks for itself, and it is obviously lamentable that Brian Lamb does let Lee Hamilton get away with so much and does obviously attempt to help and aid and abet him in spreading his lies and propaganda at various points in those clips. But at, at the very least, the, uh, the amount of time that is left for Hamilton to elaborate on these things probably does actually provide some of the juiciest tidbits for 9-11 researchers that are available, at least in the mainstream or even the quasi-mainstream programming that's out there. Um, to hear Hamilton expounding at such length about how and why people like Rumsfeld and others, no matter what type of negligence they might have been involved in, that the 9-11 Commission wasn't interested in that, etc., etc., those are the words by which the people like Hamilton and others will hang themselves through their own uh, obvious and, and admitted treachery by ad refusing to prosecute the treasonous activities that took place on 9-11. So there is definite value to be gained from these clips, um, and it is, again, it is important to watch these people being grilled and hammered and peppered with questions by people who do not buy their propaganda, because once again, it is not the case that the, the vast majority of the public have no clue about this. In fact, more and more people do understand the system that we're living in and are standing up to these people. And it's only because that fact is not being reflected in 99% of the television programming that we watch that we tend to believe that the public is so asleep, that they're all zombies, that they're all sheeple. Well, again, let's demonstrate this point once again by recourse to another interview that I think is worth watching, this time with, uh, well with someone who is another blatantly globalist uh, propaganda mouthpiece. Um, his name is Mickey McCarter, and he writes for Homeland Security Today. In fact, he's the senior reporter for Homeland Security Today and the editor of National Guard Today. And he appeared on C-SPAN in the wake of the underwear bombing incident on Christmas Day 2010, in which Abdul Muttalib uh, attempted to blow up a flight coming into Detroit, and, of course, that was the incident which really prepared the way in the minds of the public, at the very least, for the, out, out, uh, the, the rolling out of the body scanners in the beginning of the TSA sticking their hands down your pants, etc. So in the wake of that, that was what the majority of the callers wanted to ask Mickey McCarter about. And you would think, given his credentials, oh, senior reporter for Homeland Security today, that he would have all sorts of information and knowledge about the case and what was involved in it. But if you do believe that, you would be wrong. Robert, independent caller in Austin, Texas. Good morning. Good morning. <clears throat> it's amazing how much uh, different information on this, this underwear bomber there is. This guy never had a visa. The gentleman was let on the plane, literally forced. They, they tried to keep him off the plane. And two attorneys who have just submitted, you can go look on YouTube, said that <clears throat> he was let on the plane forcibly. He was denied access to that airplane two or three times in some unnamed office in, this, in the U.S. government. And you should look this up, sir. They, they let him on that plane forcibly. He was not allowed to be on that plane. And somebody put him on that plane. Now, why would a CIA agent, the, the unnamed agency, want to get that guy on the plane? I'm not familiar with the story of uh, anybody attempting to stop him. Um, my understanding is that the uh, the PETN that the underwear bomber was carrying uh, was was uh, not detectable by the standard screening that he went through at uh, Amsterdam, and that he, uh, what I've heard is that he raised no alarm. I wasn't there, obviously, so I, I don't know. <laughs> Chuck in Jacksonville, Florida, independent caller. Good morning. Oh, sorry, I moved to that. Let's go on to Devin. We already hit Chuck. Devin, Republican in Derry, New Hampshire. Good morning, Devin. Good morning. Hi there. Uh, I heard your guest mention the underwear bomber a little while mm -hmm. ago, and uh, I just wanted to mention attorney Kurt Haskell's uh, testimony at the Mutalib trial last week. He was a witness to the event, and he says that Mutalib didn't have a passport and wasn't going to be allowed onto that plane, except he was escorted by two men, two men in suits who claimed national security in order to get him onto the plane. And uh, Kurt Haskell, in his, in his testimony, said all this. He wasn't allowed to actually be a witness to the trial because they got him to plead guilty. But 
I just feel that the real terrorist that we should be afraid of is our federal government, and the TSA sticking their hands down our pants isn't going to make things better. It might. Be I don't appreciate that last uh, comment, but Devin's bringing up this question that one of our earlier callers mentioned of uh, an idea that that. Mutalib was somehow forced to go on the plane or was escorted by agents of some kind. I am unfamiliar with that um, story. Um, I can't say it's true or I can't say it's false. Um, my understanding is that he was targeted for questioning by U.S. Customs and Border Protection, mm. which was operating passenger screening for overseas passengers like uh, Abdul Mutalib, and uh, that they had planned to question him when he arrived in Detroit. Now, obviously, if he was successful, you know, they wouldn't have been able to question him because he would have blown himself and 360 other people up. Let's talk about a recent Inspector General report. They're okay, let's go to Mark in Wayne, Michigan, on our independent line. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, C-SPAN. Good morning, America. And also, good morning, Mr. Carter. McCarter. Good morning. Uh, yes, I have a question about you claiming that you had no idea about that uh, underwear bomber being helped onto that plane. I live on disability, and I even knew about that. If you've seen the evidence that I have gathered about this individual and about the warehouses that were completely filled with all of these body scanners and no airports were buying them, so then this underwear bomber thing came along, and every one of them got sold immediately. This is how they work. These elites that have hijacked the federal government are using it by use, use of the media, by lying to the people. So, Mark, so, Mark, you're saying that there's an infrastructure in place that's geared towards making money off these crises. So Mark is claiming that it's a, a generated crisis in order to, to help businesses uh, uh, make money. Well, I have to say, you know, after, after this program, I'm kind of interested in talking to my colleague, Tony Kimmery, who specializes in intelligence to see if he is aware of, you know, uh, the stories that somebody might have helped the underwear bomber onto this plane, uh, because I, I certainly am unaware of them. Um, as for the, uh, there's lots of accusations of, uh, you know, government being in bed with industry on various issues. Um, I, I know as a matter of policy that the Bush administration had actually had a plan for the whole body imagers to be rolled out and um, that that was under consideration by the Obama administration before the underwear bombing incident and then that's just sort of accelerated that plan and put it into public view um, whereas this was always sort of on the paper um, because there is a realization that metal detectors can only detect metal and we've had these problems before where people bring illicit items onto planes uh, because they're non-metallic Bill, Republican in Fairfield, Connecticut, our last call. Go ahead. Yes. I uh, uh, hate to keep hammering you with this underwear thing, but, yes, there's been a lot of news about this. In fact, it was televised on C-SPAN before Congress. Under Secretary of State for Management, Patrick Kennedy said that um, the gentleman was allowed to get on the airplane uh, because they were tracking him, which is troubling in either case, knowing that he had a bomb on him and allowing him to get on the plane in the first place. Uh, again, I'm, un I'm unaware of that. All right. Mickey McCarter, Senior Washington Correspondent for Homeland Security Today. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. You're welcome. Well, speaking of hanging yourself by your own words, I think Mickey McCarter does an excellent job of doing that by demonstrating amply that either he is the most incompetent senior reporter for a publication like Homeland Security Today that is imaginable, or he is lying. I, my money is on the latter, but at any rate, even if it's the former, then he is simply utterly incompetent and unworthy of even bothering to talk about such issues as the underwear bombing case. Because, again, it does not take a rocket scientist to figure out uh, how to at least look up the information that the callers were citing at length in that uh, segment. So that, for example, we could turn to uh, startpage.com and we could simply type in the words Haskell underwear. And if you do so, the first thing that will come up will be a link to the Haskell family blog where you can read their September 13th, 2011 summarization of the underwear bombing case the colossal deceit known as the underwear bomber case. 
or uh, for example, on the note of what some of the the people were talking about there when it came to uh, Under Secretary of State Patrick Kennedy and his House testimony that, in fact, the underwear bomber Abdul Muttalib was actually allowed to get on the plane because an unnamed intelligence agency actually commanded the the, the the State Department to allow him to proceed, even though he had been flagged. So that is a remarkable statement, and I agree. If if there was no truth to that, if that was just someone making up a name and, and just making that up off the top of their head, that would be crazy. But the crazy one is someone who claims to be a senior reporter for Homeland Security today that does not know this basic fact about the on-the-record admitted testimony of the Undersecretary of State in the Homeland Security uh, Department of Homeland Security Committee hearings that took place on January 27th, 2010, in which he made exactly those statements. But don't take my word for it. Not only can you look it up for yourself, given the information that I just gave you, but hell, I'll give you the actual video itself so you can listen to Undersecretary of State Patrick Kennedy tell you this in his own words. If we unilaterally revoked a visa, and there was a case recently up, we had we have a request from a uh, from a law enforcement agency to not revoke the visa. We we came across information. We said this is a dangerous person. We were ready to revoke the visa. We then went to the community and said, should we revoke this visa? And one of the members, and we'd be glad to give you that out of in private said, please do not revoke this visa. We have eyes on this person. We are following this person who has the visa for the purpose of trying to roll up an entire network, not just stop one person. So we will revoke the visa of any individual who is a threat to the United States. But we do take one preliminary step. We ask our law enforcement and intelligence community partners, do you have eyes on this person? And do you want us to let this person proceed under your surveillance so that you may potentially break a larger plot. And this is why the imperial hubris that we saw in Kenneth Edelman back in 1991 no longer exists in a lot of these globalists who realize that, in fact, this information is so easily attainable, and we don't have to go through globalist mouthpieces who put themselves up on a pedestal and pretend to be experts on issues that they either don't know about or are openly lying about, like Mickey McCarter. And this is why the uh, the independent media is, once again, outstripping the dinosaur media by leaps and bounds. But for those who are still in the television mindset, there are still, well, lots of places that they can find real information, like on C-SPAN, through the callers, who are actually schooling the, the viewers of the program much more effectively than the guests themselves. And on that note, again, the idea that this whole event was staged in order to provide a reason, or at least an ostensible reason, for the rollout of the body scanners is, again, not something controversial and something that Mickey McCarter should have been aware of if he had been doing his job. Because even the month before the underwear bomber incident took place, even a publication like USA Today was reporting on the body scanner lobbying industry and how they were spending millions of dollars to convince Congress that, that the TSA really needed these fancy new toys. Once again, don't take my word for it. Let's look at a USA Today article from November of 2010. Body scanner makers doubled lobbying cash over five years. Quote, the companies with multi-million dollar contracts to supply American airports with body scanning machines more than doubled their spending on lobbying in the past five years and hired several high-profile former government officials to advance their causes in Washington, government records show. L3 Communications, which has sold $39.7 million worth of the machines to the federal government, spent $4.3 million trying to influence Congress and federal agencies during the first nine months of the year, up from $2.1 million in 2005, lobbying data compiled by the Center for Responsive Politics showed. Its lobbyists include Linda Daschle, a former Federal Aviation Administration official. Rapiscan Systems, meanwhile, has spent $271,500 on lobbying so far this year, compared with $80,000 five years earlier. 
It has faced criticism for hiring Michael Chertoff, the former Homeland Security Secretary last year. Chertoff has been a prominent proponent of using scanners to foil terrorism. The government has spent $41.2 million with Rapiscan. And and we'll end the quote there. Again, you can go on to continue reading that article. But again, the suggestion that the lobbying industry had something to do with the rollout of these body scanners is not controversial in any manner, in any way, shape, or form. And the fact that the underwear bomber incident provided the precise right propaganda at the precise right time is, again, something that is not open to debate. So Mickey McCarter failed signally in that clip to convince anyone of anything except for his own rank incompetence, either incompetence in doing his job or incompetence as a globalist mouthpiece. Perhaps that really is one and the same. But again, we could continue to go through examples of this, and I will once again exhort you to go to the C-SPAN video library to start looking for examples of this for yourself, and by all means, please let me know. I will include a link to Michael Chertoff, the aforementioned Chertoff, former head of the Department of Homeland Security, who went on to lobby for Rapiscan to get the body scanners introduced. No conflict of interest there, right? And uh, he was on C-SPAN and was utterly grilled and hammered about 9-11. And interestingly enough, every single time he, he was questioned on it, he would tend to say, oh, these are the types of people who question the Holocaust or who, uh, who have questions about the, the moon landing. And he would use those responses every single time. But they started to wear thin after the third or fourth or fifth example of people calling in on that subject. It was quite a humorous example of the C-SPAN phenomenon, as we can call it. And this is usually the point in the episode where I would tell you to uh, to start your own research and uh, send you packing along your merry way. But I think what we have to do is step back for a moment and to put the, the title and the premise of today's episode into its proper context. Because while it may be true that globalists hate C-SPAN uh, to a certain extent, I think still C-SPAN does provide at least an outlet valve which is convenient to the globalist propagandists and which perhaps hate is is a bit too strong a word. I, I'm sure they don't like to dirty their boots enough to actually answer questions from the public, but in such a controlled forum where people like Brian Lamb, for example, can control the callers and cut them off when necessary, it's still not the scariest place for them to be in. But I hope what today's episode does is inspire people to, one, realize that there are a lot more people who are aware of what's going on than will ever be portrayed in the media, and two, to inspire them to really get out there and to bypass this entire mainstream television programming paradigm altogether, because we are in the 21st century, it is time to grow past this ridiculous, outdated dinosaur media and to take into our hands the power that we have right now. And as always, one of the best examples of this phenomenon of the alternative media and the way that it is asking real questions to real people who are really uh, in these globalist positions of, uh, of at least puppetry uh, is We Are Change, which has been a phenomenal organization which only continues to get better as time goes by. So let's take a look at some of We Are Change's recent work in bypassing the whole C-SPAN phenomenon altogether and going directly to the globalist mouthpieces to put the real questions. Luke is coaching me on my first confrontation with the senator. It's like a little roller coaster ride that you're about to go on. Like, holy cow, I'm going to ask a question that the mainstream media doesn't ask. Luke is not doing any interviews at all. I'm just going to make this hard, but not impossible. One quick question. One quick question. I need yeah. the one quick answer is where I'm supposed to be. I'll help you find that in a second. <laughs> I promise after we just get one question, if that's okay. You expand on your quote when you said military men are dumb, stupid animals to be used as pawns for foreign policy. I know. Bob Woodward. Bob Woodward said you said that. 
I hope I didn't say either of those things. But it, you did, and, I, and it's written. Do you retract them? I'm focused on my job. So you're not retracting that. Do you I, still I, believe I, that? I, 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 Obama has a secret kill list, which he has used to assassinate different people all over the world. I'm, I'm happy to answer any serious questions. Why you is have? that not serious? Because I have no idea what you're talking about. Of course you don't. Idiots. Fucking idiots. I gotta agree with him. So when it's someone who's actually asking you a real question, dismissed. That wasn't in the debate. As long as both sides have agreed that we are going to do indefinite detentions and the media that sucks up to both of us has agreed that that's not a real issue and was not asked in the debate, shut up, shut up, shut up, I'm not going to answer. Why do you think that it's appropriate for the president to have the ability to violate Americans' rights by having well, the ability to indefinitely I'm detain Americans? citizens? answer a question that's so uh, uh, journalistically biased. Flip-floppers. And you're both supported by the big banks. What should Romney do, and what are your recommendations for that secret kill list that Obama has? It's a serious question. Kissinger, Memorandum 200. Depopulation. We're on topic now. We came here, we give you the access. If you want to burn bridges, you can do that. So, there are certain rules to this game. And if you stick to the rules, and you don't do your job as journalists, and you ask stupid softball questions, they'll answer those all day long. You ask a really good question, a hard question about the National Defense Authorization Act, something that's really important. It's, no, no. You got a minute? Yeah. What's that? Bob Phillips, we are changed. Nice to meet you. Nice. Um. Anyway, it's a great book. Thank you for asking. Sales from the dad side. Absolutely, Steve. Steve, have you ever looked into the collapse of World Trade Center before? Yes, sir. Well, do your job and answer a question, please, about your the representative. About the Just answer your it wouldn't be a good competition if there wasn't anything else but him just lying about it. So, time to finish it off. But as the door kept closing, Luke just kept bumping it with his <laughs> microphone so that yeah, it would yeah. open again so we had a few more seconds <laughs> yeah. to talk. You have to be persistent and you have to keep asking them the questions. But what happened at the Bilderberg meetings? So, I, I, uh, I'm going to stop asking the question. Who do you think that uh, might be a good person? Which is more... Um, I'm sorry, i got to ask him again. I have to. So sorry, I kind of have to. Yeah. I'm just trying to get answers, and that's why I'm here talking to you, and that's why I'm persistent the way I am. I know you can hear me. Uh, sir, sir, please put that away. Sir, no, don't you sign you that? Thank you very much. Would you like to sign that? Sir, lying to you. She didn't say that. She's lying. She's lying to you. You can't go pay a seat, okay? You're a coward, ma'am. But that's just a warm-up. It gets much better here. Now, here, Luke uh, Rutkowski. When are you going to open up on the Bohemian Grove? Bye-bye. What's this picture of? I actually don't remember. See you at the Bohemian Grove. You know, it's nice to know that there's some people who have fantasy lives that have nothing to invest with. Nice to you. Nice to meet you. Bye-bye. You're showing the humanness, the frailty of these so-called uh, power men. They're running from the camera. They're, they're cowering. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Well, you have a cap in your Montebello. All right, guys, we're done. I'll see you. I'll see you. That wasn't a good question. Are you afraid to talk about your depopulation plan? Why don't you get lost? Why should I get lost? It's serious. Thick, good. You're a horrible moron. I'm a horrible moron, yeah? That's why I asked you a question. Why are you not worried about it? I what you guys Watch both these all night. I know. How are you doing? Ruffling the feathers of those in power, subverting them, undermining them, challenging orthodoxies, making trouble is what journalism is about. And I think you need to commit yourself to doing that as much as possible. And you obviously do that. Uh, do you have a question? Yes, I do. All right, nice to see you. No. My name is Bill Berg. What did you do with the Bilderberg Group, Paulson? We know you met with secret elite. What are you going to do when they got a hundred million Americans there waiting for me? I'm on the public sidewalk and you cannot touch me. No, this is a public sidewalk. Get it. Sir, I'm sir, I'm going to stay right. You're not allowed to be on this side of the street to film. It's a public sidewalk. Listen, please don't put your hands on me. Please don't sign me. Don't put your hands on me. You can talk to me now. Raise your voice. I'm just asking a question. We're not. I'm not a dog. But what about Bilderberg? You want to talk about that? Excuse me? We as a people are not afraid and we are waking up to the robber barons and the big banksters who are looting this economy with the Federal Reserve.
bro. Freedom will reign, nation states will survive, sir, and you will not have your new world order, your eugenics, because we are changed and we are taking this generation back, sir. Once again, I'd like to reiterate that you don't have to join any particular organization, or you can if you want to. Do it however you like, and uh, I think there are better and worse ways to put your point across, and it's better to be prepared and to have uh, detailed questions, etc. But however you do it, however you get out there, I salute the people who are out there putting the real questions to these globalist mouthpieces and making them squirm in a way that has really never occurred I would say in history, because these people have always been sheltered by numerous layers of of obfuscation, and now we literally have the power to bypass that completely by going directly to these people, putting direct questions to them, and then sending that directly to people all around the world through the medium of the internet, at least for now, and at least while it is still a relatively open environment. And of course, they are going to try to clamp down on that in every and any possible way, and I will refer you back to the propaganda that Hayden was spewing at the beginning of today's episode to see what type of tack they're going to take to, uh, to try to convince us why it's important to limit the free and open internet. But while we have it, let's make the most of it, and let's stop fighting with each other and stop berating each other for not knowing or not understanding all of this, and start putting the, uh, the pressure on the places and the people that really count. So on that note, once again, I will uh, leave you to today to explore the show notes and all of the information that we've been talking about today. I'm always interested to hear about your feedback at CorbettReport.com. And I'd like to remind you that this media is alternative media, and it is brought to you by you. So thank you once again to the subscribers that make this possible. And if you aren't a subscriber, please look into it. It does truly make a difference. On that note, I am James Corbett, thanking you for joining me for this week's edition of The Corbett Report, and asking you to join me again next week. is brought to you by you your support makes the corbett report possible sign up for the subscriber newsletter or purchase a dvd at corbettreport.com support